hard to get back to sleep? As we get older, our sleep patterns do change. Why and how best to cope with those changes is what we're talking about today. Dr. Wai Quin Chow is the medical director and respiratory and sleep physician at the Wolcock Institute of Medical Research, and I have her on the line now to answer all of those questions. Welcome, Dr. Chow. Well, thank you very much for the invitation to speak with you today. How did you sleep last night? Oh, I slept very, very well. <laughs> well, I was just uh, talking to our producer before we came on air, and he said, I woke up at four o'clock in the morning, ready to go. And I thought, well, I'm sure that uh, a lot of our audience who are the 50, 60, 70 pluses have the same situation where you tend to wake up in very different sleep patterns to as we were. What happens to the sleep patterns as we get older? I think the first understanding is that our sleep pattern as we get older actually doesn't change a lot. What does change is our behavior as we get older. I think that's probably number one. And just to go back on your sleep, your, your producer, perhaps he has to wake up at early in the morning to get ready to work. I know certainly for myself, I get, I get up at four o'clock in the morning just to go to, to do my exercise. So, and I assume that as I get older, perhaps getting up at four o'clock is not feasible because I don't need to go to work when I get older. So again, the sleep pattern changes mainly due to the behavioral changes over time, not with aging. So when when one does wake up at four o'clock in the morning, and you know, admittedly, I like to go to bed at uh, around ten, ten thirty, uh, but uh, why is my brain so awake? Because it's going to affect me later on in the day because I need to have another nap. That's right. That's right. So most of us have an internal clock, or it's called the circadian rhythm, and a lot of us actually fall asleep during the usual typical time around ten to ten thirty p.m. Mm-hmm. And that is what's considered as normal, I guess. But as you can appreciate with this current times, with all the pandemic that's going on, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's also lockdown and people are spending more time at work. The sleeping patterns do change and it has to do with behavioral changes that they're adapting to whatever's happening around them and their sleep patterns. The circadian rhythm does not change over time. And in fact, if anything, it stays constant. Usually, we have a surge of a, a hormone called the melatonin that rises and it tells us to go to bed. And that usually, that search is pretty constant for most of us. And that is, if you go to bed at 10.30 every night, the surge is around 10.30, and that's when your body tells you to shut down and time to go to bed. But if we ignore that, then what happens is that we miss that sleepiness and then we stay awake, and then we may have difficulty falling asleep later on in the evening. And as such, then we have a delayed sleep. And perhaps we could sleep for a few hours and then we may wake up again a little bit earlier or a little bit later. And again, if that's not suitable to our lifestyle, it becomes a problem. Does that um, answer the question? It certainly does. Uh, I was going to ask another question about uh, when we travel overseas and how how we best cope with the time shift. But I think that (laughs) (laughs) is not really relevant. If only I could say I've got to go to London tomorrow, uh, Dr. Chow, and could you please tell me how I can best overcome the, the time changes? But I will ask the question anyway. No, that, that is a very relevant question, and that's what we, the, the common term that's most relatable to a lot of us is called the jet lag. Yep. And if we change the different hemisphere, obviously our brain does not adapt. And we sometimes use a tablet very similar to the hormone that I talked about that regulates our internal body clock, which is the melatonin. And we take that to help us 
have that surge to help our brain switch off. I used to find that uh, if I got to somewhere like London, I would, uh, if I arrived in the morning, I would just tell my body, well, here we are, it's morning time, I'd go for a run and yeah. maybe go to bed early, like about seven o'clock at night, and try and get a full sleep. And then I'm, I'm, I'm pretty easy to sort of get into the zones. But some folks really do it hard, don't they? They do, and I think that's the best thing to do when you go to a different place. And I would recommend trying to go with whatever is happening at your destination and go with the flow. And try to resist the sleep from back home, for instance. And then when you come back home, again, you have to readjust. Um, when you get older, again, I don't think it's to do with aging. A lot of things is blamed on getting old. In fact, when you're aging, it's actually a healthy thing to happen. It's a, a normal progression of life. But a lot of it is attributable to being older or getting older. But I think if you keep a healthy lifestyle, if you don't have any medications or chronic illnesses, you should be able to expect to lead a, a fairly normal lifestyle as well when you're traveling. So enjoy the travel. Go with the flow at that destination that you're at. And um, if you need to bring some melatonin with you to adjust quickly, that's the whole aim of it, then that might just make your trip more pleasant. And again, the quality of life will be better. Power naps. I enjoy them. Some people don't. Some people wake up feeling like they've been kicked in the head. I find it find very refreshing. As I get older, power naps are very useful for me. What are your thoughts of having power naps? I think power naps are very useful if you don't sleep more than um, an hour at the very most. Uh -huh. Anything between 15 minutes to, say, half an hour to 45 minutes should be sufficient. Again, that could be quite subjective as well. I get worried when I have patients telling me that they nap in the daytime, either after breakfast or after lunch, that lasts for three to four hours. Because oh. that means, yes, that but... But that indicates to me that they're very sleepy and they're very tired. And perhaps there may be an underlying sleep disorder, could be an underlying medication or any chronic illnesses that we need to investigate. But I think if you'd like to have your power nap, just to have a, a, a bit of time to freshen up, I, I have no problems with that. In fact, I think it's actually acceptable to do that, particularly when you have um, times where you've had a really, if you've exercised really early in the morning or you've had a really rigorous run, it's time for your body to recover to some degree. Don't you agree? Absolutely. I used to have a, a radio program and <clears throat> I was doing Midnight to Dawn and I, ha I would have a, a tremendous listening audience of, uh, of folks of a certain age who yep. uh, would wake up in the middle of the night and find great comfort in listening to the radio. Is it better to, if you are awake at three o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, whatever, to stay away from screens. Yeah, definitely. But either listen to the radio or perhaps read a book. So if you were to wake up at 3 a.m. and for whatever reason you've tried counting sheets and it still doesn't work <laughs> and you're still counting, you're up to like a million and one, I would recommend actually breaking that cycle and getting out of bed and taking a short walk to your kitchen, have a small drink of water, oh. then coming back. And you could sit out of the bed because I think sometimes the bed is being used to read a book, to do knitting, to do anything, to watch television. But I try to keep the bed just solely for sleeping and nothing else because then it's sort of, you have a place to go to rest. If you want to read a book, so a chair beside your bed would be helpful because I try to keep the bed a place to rest. So if you find that at 3 a.m. you wake up, you can't fall asleep, I would recommend getting out of bed. Again, go to the toilet. You could have a, a, a small 
warm cup of milk, um, listening to music, listening to podcasts on the radio, that would be very helpful. Listening to some meditation, um, those rainfalls or water falling, that would be helpful. But definitely do not use screen. Please don't use caffeine. Please don't use alcohol. And definitely do not eat a large sandwich at that time. Dr. Wai Quin Chow is a medical director and respiratory and sleep physician at the Walcock Institute of Medical Research. What are you researching at the moment, uh, Wei? Well, actually, I've just completed my PhD. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. What was your PhD on? Actually, it's nothing related to sleep, would you believe it? It's actually on um, motor neuron disease and the use of a particular ventilator to help people with motor neuron disease breathe better. As you know, that people with motor neuron disease, most of the time they actually die early because of the respiratory failure from the respiratory muscle weakness. So part of my PhD study was to look at a particular ventilator so that I can help them breathe better earlier on the disease. So that, that was what my PhD on. Well, as you know, in Melbourne, the Danaher Foundation are very, very uh, major sponsors of, uh, of the uh, big freeze that we have down here with our yes. football. And uh, it's, it's hugely popular and has brought the, yes. the scourge of MND to, um, to the fore and muscular dystrophy is uh, something that has really been well publicised and is now much more in people's consciousness. What an insidious uh, thing it is. It's awful. It's an awful, awful disease. I know we're not meant to be talking about that now and have to to do with sleep, but in terms of my research and sleep, I'm helping out with another um, researcher. He's doing his Masters of Philosophy, and his research is in looking in people with obstructive sleep apnea of moderate to severe degree. And in those patients who do not want to have CPAP therapy or um, the mandibular advancement splint, whether the use of dieting and the weight loss and exercise regime will actually help improve their sleep apnea symptoms. So that's another research that I'm currently involved in. You certainly see a lot more advertising. And I'm wondering if it's not just a commercial thing of uh, uh, aids to help people stop Snoring. I don't, oh. I don't know if you have a partner who snores. Snoring, is it becoming more prevalent? Is it something that uh, those machines can really assist in? And what are your thoughts? Okay, snoring is a very, very common topic that I deal with every day of my life. And to answer the question, does my, does my husband snore? Yes, he does snore. And he says that I snore louder than him, but I don't <laughs> believe him. And I've put him through the sleep study. So he does not have sleep apnea. So that's not the cause of his snoring. And having said that, there are people out there who snore but do not have a sleep disorder. And there are those people who have a sleep disorder and snore as well. So we have two sorts of uh, snoring that you could say that we can treat. At the end of the day, the difference between the snoring and the sleep apnea is that snoring happens because there is still the airways that's open, slightly open, and some floppiness of the airway, so the, the large airways, so where the tonsils are, and it's vibrating. The snoring noise it comes from the tinier airways and the vibration of the tonsils and the pharynx that makes the snoring. And sometimes if you have some sinus issues as well, the blockages of the nasal passage or the sinuses that are congested, that can also exacerbate the snoring. No. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, it, that's it. I wasn't trying sorry to, to I wasn't you. trying to disrespect your this interview. I wasn't snor- I wasn't asleep, I swear. I did I actually I did have somebody on the radio who um I was talking to on a talk back and I, they suddenly fell asleep. Like that. And <laughs> 
And I kept them on the line and kept going to various things and commercials and coming back, and there they were. <laughs> yeah, still so. But those... I think they need to come and see me. Oh, absolutely, Dr. Chow. We salute you. Absolutely, we should uh, send them to your to your clinic. What what research are you involved in apart from uh, helping your friend who's uh, doing their PhD? Uh, the Woolcock Institute set up for what reason? Uh, the Woolcock Institute is uh, has a lot of researchers. And we concentrate in mainly um, sleep disorder breathing and it has insomnia. We look at um, circadian rhythm. We look at Alzheimer's disease and the association of um, sleep disorders. Uh, we also have a neurosleep clinic. We also do some research with respiratory side of things and we have an associated um, Woolcock at, in Vietnam that looks specifically at tuberculosis. At, at, at what, 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 what? Tuberculosis, yeah, pulmonary okay. tuberculosis. And that's to do with, um, that has um, Professor Mark Geis, who's well known in that area of research. So we have actually quite a very wide, diverse um, range of um, research that's happening at the Woolcock. It's, it's a very busy place. Okay. I would like, before we wrap this up, to, to get your uh, golden rules of those, again, who are 60 plus. Uh, which is the most of our audience on Your Life Choices, the golden rules of getting a good night's sleep. Okay. So the golden rule, number one, it's not aging. It has nothing to do with getting older. Number two, you can definitely fall asleep as what you were before when you were younger if you've never had any sleep problems. To get a good night's sleep, obviously, do not drink lots of alcohol. Do not have a heavy meal just before going to bed. Um, so, so that because reflux can actually keep you awake. Don't drink a lot of water just before going to bed because that means that you might have to wake up several times in the night to go to the toilet and that may mean that you may not be able to fall asleep again. Do exercise. Do lots of exercise if you can. Walking, playing golf, playing tennis, running like you do. If you could spend some time with meditation, that would be helpful as well. And making sure that the room temperature is not too hot and not too cold, but just right. I think those are my tips so far. Dr. Chow, thank you so much. Uh, we do appreciate it. And uh, all I can wish you is for a very happy and sound sleep tonight. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time, John. Oh, our great pleasure. Have you have a good night's sleep and you take uh, these good advice from away because um, certainly it's going to help you if you have a few issues not to worry about it but to let nature take its course. We'll see you next time on Your Life Choices.